So it's hard enough to get by in the world. On top of that, not being paid right by your employer and being cheated out of overtime, being cheated out of the hours that you work, it's not fair. And if you're going through that, it's important to seek help. At Summer Shorts, they've helped thousands of workers just like you and me to recover over $100 million of unpaid wages. Go to summerspc.com to sign up for a free case evaluation. The statements expressed in the following program are those of the speaker. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the sponsor, the host, and or Olas Media. Olas Media. This is Overdue Overtime, presented by Summer Schwartz. And now, here's your host, Justin Isaac. My name is Justin Isaac. I am your host. This show is presented by Summer Schwartz. And today I am joined by Matthew Turner, senior shareholder of Summer Schwartz. Matthew, thank you very much for joining me. I am very happy to be here, Justin. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And in the past, we've covered a wealth of topics uh, that relates to uh, essentially what your firm does and, and focuses on, which um, you know, some of the shows in, in the past were uh, we had a day in the life of a plaintiff of a, a class action lawsuit, or can I sue my boss for unpaid overtime? And those were great topics. It's a wealth of information. Today, we're going to be talking about something pretty specific too, and it's called donning and doffing. So let's start off with this. Anyone who's probably listening uh, to this show, they might not have a legal background, but they want more information. And donning and doffing is a pretty important thing, and it's been recently in the news. So let's give them first a rundown of what we would consider donning and doffing, if you can give a good explanation. Sure. So donning and doffing are sort of silly legal terms that really simply mean donning means to put on Mm -hmm. and doffing means to take off. And so donning and doffing is when donning is when you have to put things on and doffing is when you have to take things off. And the question is, are you entitled to or should you be getting paid for the time that you spend putting these things on or taking these things off? Yeah. Um, And sometimes the question is sometimes it's a very easy question to answer. Sometimes it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, You know, everybody, nobody would think that if you uh, get up in the morning you take your shower and you go into your closet and you get dressed to go to work that anybody should think you should get paid for that. That was my first thought too, is, uh, am I, am I undercutting myself here uh, as a self-employed person? Should I be paying myself for getting ready in the morning? Uh, but it's obviously, it has to be a more complicated than that, right? There's gotta be some kind of metric to figure this out. So let's say, let's, let's take the other side of that same coin Mm-hmm. Let's just now, obviously, professional football players aren't paid by the hour, right? But yeah. we all know that professional football players have a very specific uniform that mm-hmm. they have to wear to be able to do their job. They got to go to wherever they're, the, the stadium they're going to be playing, go in the locker room, put on all of their equipment, right? And they can't do their job if they didn't have their helmet and shoulder pads and all of those other things that they wear. So yeah. if they were hourly employees, that would clearly be dawning that would be mm-hmm. compensable because it is completely integral and indispensable to doing their job. Two more you know, important legal terms, but really what it means is, are you putting these things on because you really need them for your job, or are you just putting them on because of something you sort of always do and it's not, it's not real important to the job that you're going to do? All right, well, let's start with this. I think that it, 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 
giving it a good example for for something like this gives a lot of context to people because we can explain the legal side of it. We can explain how it kind of works, but let's give an actual case that would help um, illustrate essentially what we're talking about. Okay, so an actual case is somebody works in a um, a case that I handled myself was a case against Sarah Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all heard of Sarah Lee, you know, Sarah Lee meats, roast beef, and hot, you know, all they make all the food and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Sarah and Sarah Lee operated a um, a meat processing plant where they would slice and package and do all the things they needed to do to the meat that you would walk into the grocery store to have to buy. Mm-hmm. And the people who worked in that plant would have to go to work, go into a locker room, and they would have to wear a very um, defined set of things before they could go into the plant and do their job. And so they would have to wear um, um, a hairnet, a beard net, a hard hat, safety glasses, um, steel-toed boots, gloves. They'd have to walk and do certain washing after they put this stuff on to make sure their stuff was clean. Mm -hmm. And then they would proceed to the floor and they would start their job. And they did not get paid for any of that time that they spent putting on those um, those items. And they did not start getting paid until they started to work. And the question was, were those things that they put on, were they integral and indispensable to their job? Did they need to do them for their job? That was one issue. And the other thing is, and, and this is another legal topic that we'll probably talk about as we get into this, and it's called de minimis. Again, another fancy legal term, but all de minimis means, is this so little, is this so unimportant, does this take so little time that your employer shouldn't have to account for it? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a question of whether that um, is a legally viable defense. Well, this takes so little time that we shouldn't have to pay for it. Yeah. Um, in that case, um, you know, we actually had a trial in front of a jury and, you um, you know, the court, uh, the jury determined that this was integral and indispensable and that it needed to be paid for and that mm-hmm. it wasn't so uh, so little or haphazard that Sarah Lee could get away without paying for it. And so the jury forced them to have to pay, um, have to pay for that time. In fact, if we have, to, uh, can I tell you, uh, can I tell you a funny story about that? Yeah, case? absolutely. All right. All right. So, so as, as a trial lawyer, as a trial lawyer, you know, trying cases is, is, is always a fascinating experience. And as I said, the issue, one of the major, major issues in that case is whether this took enough time that the company should have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So during the trial, the defendants put on the witness stand the plant manager, the top guy at the plant, and they had laid out on a table all of the stuff that the people had to put on. And they had him go through a dog and pony show of him putting on all of these things they had to put on. And, you know, takes off his shoes, puts on the steel-toed boots. Um, and then at the end, taking it all off. Mm-hmm. And when he, when he, take, he takes off the steel-toed, he takes off the steel-toed boots. Mm-hmm. And I puts on his shoes and goes to sit back down like he's done. And I recognized, I just, just you know, I had me, I was paying attention. And I recognized that this guy didn't tie his shoes. And mm-hmm. the only reason for him not to tie his shoes was to make it seem like it didn't take as much time yeah. as it actually took. And so, you know, in my closing argument to the jury, you know, one of the things that I said to him is, you know, 
you know, you know, maybe when you're a 10 year old kid, you don't tie your shoes. Right. But adults have to untie their shoes and tie their shoes. Yeah. And if you have to put on steel toed boots, you have to sit down, untie your shoes, put your boots on. And then when you take the boots off, put your boots back on. And we have to tie our shoes. And all of that takes time. Yeah. So and, and apparently the jury agreed. Yeah. And that's a really fascinating aspect to this, too, because the type of law that I do is not trial law or litigation. So talking to everyone from Summer Schwartz is is really always fascinating to me because of stories like that. And that's a great observation. Obviously, tying your shoes, especially if you need to have some kind of, uh, you know, integrity on your on your shoe, meaning it can't be loose. That takes a little bit of time, especially if you're in some kind of protective equipment or PPE some kind of gear, it's not easy to do. And so I imagine that just adds to it. But you know, him trying to get away with saying that it doesn't take so long by acting like he wouldn't tie his shoe in that scenario. That's a really interesting example. And I I, I do think that it kind of illustrates, you know, how this all works, or, or what donning and doffing actually is. But I wanted to ask you in, you know, with this case, how long are we actually talking about here? Was it a matter of seconds or minutes, uh, 10 minutes, 20 minutes when it comes to putting things on and taking things off? So, so here's one of the interesting things, Justin, about this whole scenario is another legal um, concept called the continuous mm-hmm. workday. Okay. And so in that case, after the people, after the employees put on their equipment, they had a fairly significant walk through the you know, through the premises, through the plant to get to where they had to get to mm-hmm. to do their job. Okay. So what that meant is the law says that once you start working, unless you're on a legitimate unpaid lunch mm-hmm. break, for example, everything that you do after you start working okay. is compensable. Even if you take a break, those breaks have to be paid unless they meet the test for a legitimate lunch break. All right. So if the dawn, if the putting on of the clothes, the donning in the locker room is compensable, then all of the work, all of the walking time to get to the start of their shift where they would clock in is mm. compensable. If the, if the donning is not compensable, then the walking time isn't compensable because their shift wouldn't start until they clocked in at the place where they actually work. So by determining that the that the putting on of this equipment was compensable, it made all of the walk. Yeah. So I imagine that really adds up to if you have a lot of employees and we're talking about adding minutes on to every single day on the front end and probably back end too. And you have hundreds, if not thousands of employees, and you're talking about days, months, years that this has been going on, that really adds up very fast, I imagine. So, so the so the doffing or the taking off would be the same thing at the end of the day. So what would happen is, is they would clock out at the end of their shift at the work spot, and then they would have to walk to the locker room, take off all the stuff, put on their put on their regular clothes, put on and tie their shoes, and then they would be ready to, and then they would actually be ready to leave and walk out. Of course, all of that was unpaid, and most of these people worked forty hours a week or more. So all of this time was unpaid uh-huh. overtime that they were entitled to be paid. Uh, in time so that made it that much worse uh, by a big factor, I imagine. And this kind of, I mean, unpaid overtime, it's uh, what we've already talked about too. So this is a nice natural transition into this topic. 
And I, I think one thing I want to ask you about too, because I remember this happening recently with Amazon, where it was something about their employees getting searched. And what, what was the result of that case? Do you remember? So that's a that's a great that's a great example and a great example of of what the difference is between when this time is compensable or you know when you're you know from the employee's perspective when you're entitled to be paid for it and when you're not entitled to be paid for it. So in that case, you know, people worked at Amazon and they were, um, um, you know, whatever they did in the plant, they were you know packet you know, putting things in packages and and whatever. Um, and then Amazon had this policy or. With their actual employer was, I think, a company called Integrity Staffing. But, um, you know, they had to be searched before they left to make sure that they weren't stealing anything. Anything, You know, it was a um, uh, it was a policy to prevent loss. It was a loss yeah. prevention policy. All right. And while it clearly took the employees time to wait to be searched before they could leave, it had no, it, was, it had no relation to what they actually did during their workday while they were in the plant working. As opposed to the the personal protective equipment that the Sarah Lee people had to put on, that was directly related to what they had to do for their job, or the legal term integral and indispensable, the security checks were for loss prevention purposes to make sure people mm -hmm. weren't stealing. Had nothing to do with what they did during the day. Therefore, it was not integral and indispensable, and therefore it was not. That makes a lot of sense. Actually, I could see the major difference there. Uh, where the protective equipment in, you know, sanitizing and everything for the health and safety of the products that you're putting out to uh, the, you know, whether it be meat or any other product. Whereas here, this is just making sure that the company doesn't lose and it doesn't affect the delivery of goods or, or anything that has to do with uh, Amazon itself or, or the staffing company. But that makes a lot of sense when we... Can I, can, I, can, I, can I jump in, Justin, to say something really important, though? And, and you know, we have been talking about, so the federal law, I, what I've been talking about is what the law, the Fair Labor Standards Act is the federal law that applies across the country as it relates to uh, uh -huh. payment of wages, okay? And everything that I've just said is applicable under the federal law. And the, the Amazon case that we've been talking about was a case that was decided under federal law. But every state has its own wage and hour law. And sometimes the state's wage and hour law is different than the federal wage and hour law. So, for example, there are certain states, Massachusetts is one, California is one, and there are others. There are certain, there are certain states that um, say that if you have to be on the employer's premises, then that is paid time. So that case would have come out differently under the state law for certain cases um, that are brought in those states. Yeah, I remember we actually spoke about the the federal law versus state law in a, a previous episodes, too. And it, it is important to note that they are very different sometimes. And some things might be compensable, like we talked about, uh, under a state law, but maybe not necessarily under the federal labor, uh, sorry, F FLSA. I keep on messing that up. Fair, fair, fair labor standards well, act, or, or or what we what we call okay. Felissa. <laughs> I I thought F for federal because it's a federal law. So, uh, but fair labor standards act, of course. I, I 
apologies for everyone out there. This is not my field of law. Um, I deal with probate law and estate planning. So I'm uh, a little bit outside of the, uh, my norm here. But while we're talking about this, um, and also uh, just to reiterate, uh, I am joined by Matthew Turner of Summer Schwartz. And we are talking about donning and doffing. Uh, and so far, we've pretty much covered how donning and doffing works or what it actually means, taking things on or taking things off if they're uh, integral to the work itself and the job itself. And if you have a situation like this that you think applies to you or applies to donning and doffing and you maybe want to speak to someone at Summer Schwartz, go to Summers PC. That's S-O-M-M-E-R-S-P-C dot com or find them on any of the social media and reach out and see if you have a claim. Uh, we've talked before about their intake staff and, and you know, they're pretty um, very, very helpful and able to help answer questions and see if you might actually have a claim. So let, let's actually, this might be a good transition because we were just talking about compensable or not. So we kind of touched on what makes it compensable. And I think you said it's an integral part to the job. Now, I wanted to ask about the Sarah Lee situation. Was it, it doesn't make it more or less integral if the job is providing you with the equipment or if the job just has a requirement in place or some kind of like, health code uh, standard? So that's a, that's a great question. And one of, the, um, one of the fundamental things that is looked at is where does the employee have to put on and take off mm -hmm. the clothing? Okay. So if you can put on it, if you can take the clothing home with you and you can put it on and take it off at home, it's not going to be compensable. On the other hand, if the employer requires you to pick up the clothing at your place of employment, put it on there at your place of employment, that is an important factor that is going to, um, that's an important factor as to whether it's mm -hmm. compensable or not. So if you have to, if you have to get the clothing, the equipment and put mm -hmm. it on there and take it off there and leave it there, that is much more likely that it's going to so be compensable. So kind of transitioning or akin to this, I guess you could say, uh, we, we spoke in the beginning of the show about uh, getting ready for work, maybe driving to work. I guess it's it's pretty obvious to me, but maybe we should break it down for anyone who's listening. Driving to work, getting ready for work. If I'm just a regular employee at like a retail store, obviously that's not paid for by my employer, right? Because it's not integral to the running the business, but it is integral to me as an individual, right? But but everybody has to go. Everybody has to go from their home to their yep. place of employment. So that's not that's not going to be compensable. Let's take a and again, this isn't donning and doffing, but it sort of goes along the same thing. Is let's take a more difficult example. Let's say that you're a, um, let's say that you are a appliance repair person. All right, and and to do your job, you have to drive a truck. Okay, that has all of your tools and equipment and everything you need parts all the things you need to fix people's dishwashers and washing machines and all of those things that um, appliances that people have in their homes. Okay. So one example, you drive from your home to your house, you pick up a truck. Okay. Then you drive your truck to your first job. Okay. The time you spend driving from your home to your house to pick up the truck, clearly not compensable. Okay. On the other hand, you, um, take the truck, you take the truck home with you, you get in your truck and you drive not to your place of employment, 
but to the customer's first house. Okay. So if you're in the work truck and you're driving directly to the home of where your first appointment is, okay, there's a pretty good argument that that's going to be compensable time. Ah, okay. So if you have someone who, I bet this is, I bet this applies to a lot of people. If you have some kind of equipment that belongs to your job, uh, mainly a work vehicle, I guess you could say. Uh, now, actually, hold on, before I even get into that, what about someone who issues a company car? If I, if I give one of my employees a company car, does that mean as soon as they leave the house that they're on the clock? Absolutely not. That doesn't change anything. Okay. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> no, no, that's that's not going to change. That's not going to change anything. Lots of oh, I, lots of people have company cars. Yeah, I imagine too. You know, we get into a whole other field of law, which would be, uh, you know, is it if they get into an accident while they're on their way to work or on their way to a job, is are they is the company liable or is the individual liable? And I don't want to get into the weeds on that, but I think that might be a good uh, topic at uh, for another show. But it does bring up that kind of question too. Um, so I, I do appreciate that. And I, I like all these examples because it really helps illustrate exactly what we're talking about. Um, and I know Summer Schwartz has a, a vast experience in so many different uh, things and, you know, this type of law. But I know you have something that's pretty specific to the Donning and Doffing uh, case or, or type of law. And we act, you actually have a previous client um, who can uh, attest to that. So Let's actually hear what your former client had to say about their case. We'd love to hear that. I had went to work for that company in 1982, and they told us we had to be at work 15 minutes early. We asked, hey, you know, we're not being compensated for this. The company insisted and said that their legal department said no, that what they're doing is okay. Uh, so when the company slammed the door, I felt like that uh, I should contact someone. I'm glad I got Summers and Swartz. They gave me this opportunity. It didn't cost me anything. It's really interesting. And it, it really does help give context. And as I'm sure if you've listened to any of our episodes before, I, I do enjoy hearing some kind of example because it really helps think about what we're talking about instead of just trying to imagine it in the abstract. So hearing a testimonial like that is so powerful and important to me. Um, and if you think something like this applies to you, please go to summerspc.com. That's S-O-M-M-E-R-S-P-C.com. And that way you could find out whether or not you have a claim or a case. I think it's really important to get that information to maybe speak uh, to Matthew or, or someone at Summers, uh, Summer Shorts to understand where you stand. So let's move on to one of my last questions here. Uh, what about being in a union? How does that affect donning and doffing and we spoke a little bit about unions and kind of things that uh deal with the fair labor standards act in the past so does that apply when we're talking about donning and doffing in any way so it does apply and actually it's very important because um if you are if you're in a union based uh, and to make it as simple as i can if you are in a union, whether you are entitled to be paid for your dawning and doffing time is not going to be dependent upon the things that I just said, but it's going to be dependent upon um, if your collective bargaining agreement um, calls for you to be paid for that time. Mm -hmm. uh, even, even if your collective bargaining agreement is silent, doesn't cover the issue, if the, if the custom and practice at the plant has never been to pay for that time and you're in a union and that union has collectively bargained on other issues, 
even if they didn't collectively bargain on that issue, whatever the custom and practice has been is going to control. Um, so you are, as an employee, you will have a much more difficult time to um, recover for dawning and doffing time if you are a, okay. um, if you are in a union. Now, that applies to, and, and this, it's really interesting. So um, the, there's, there's a very famous case that was decided a few years ago called Sandifer versus U.S. Steel okay. that dealt with this issue. And the issue in Sandifer is, was, what is close and what isn't close, all right? Because if what, if what you're putting on and taking off is defined as clothing, then what I just said is 100% true. If what you're putting hmm. on and taking off isn't clothing, then the then it doesn't what I just said doesn't apply, and you get back to the integral and indispensable um, argument. All right. So so what the court found was things like hard hats and gloves and steel-toed boots and um, face coverings. Uh, court found all of those things were clothing. Okay. On the other hand, the court found that things like a respirator, which you use to help you breathe, or safety glasses, and I think there was one other thing, that those were not clothing, all right? What the court in Sandifer found, though, was that because the vast majority of the time was clothes, it all, it all was considered to be clothing and the employees mm -hmm. lost. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you are doing something and in your heart, you feel like it's something that you should get paid for and they are mm -hmm. not paying you for it, definitely 100% yeah. call us and ask us um, it, because we will, you know, it, either we'll know the answer or if we don't know the answer, we'll find out the answer for you. Well, oh. like, uh, you know, here's, here's another example of a case that, I, that I'm involved in right now. And it's, an, it's not a... This case is not okay. involving a meatpacking place, but it's a case involving a food processing um, facility. And the employees are required to come early and to wear a particular uniform, clothes, pants, shirt, uh, everything that has been washed and cleaned there. Um, and they have to put it on there and they have to take it off there. And part of the reason for that is is uniformity and the safety of the product that they are producing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that's, a, that's a, another good example of, uh, of, of time that is compensable uh, because they are requiring you to put on and take off these things at the, even though it's not really protective to you, it's protective to the product. So therefore it is integral and indispensable uh -huh. to the job. They require you to do it at their premises and therefore, under the law, you should be getting paid mm -hmm. for it. So um, I guess the uh, what I would say to people who are listening is, yeah, if you work at a, if you're a non-union employee to start with, that that makes it a lot easier if you're not in a union and you work at a job where you have to put things on or take things off at the work site and you're not getting paid for it, please call us. So I, I think what I took from this too, because I started to, my head started to spin hearing these different variations. And, and this is typical for law where we have one thing can change everything in a case, a state or a state specific or a federal law or, um, you know, a one piece of clothing or whether it's considered clothing. And that's why it's so important to call you guys. In my opinion, I, I think that if you think that you, if you think that you have a claim, 
it really is important to give uh, Summer Schwartz a call um, or go to summerspc.com, S-O-M-M-E-R-S-P-C.com. So Justin, there's one other thing that I think is very important that I say to anybody who's listening to this uh, to this podcast, and that is, it is a it is a natural, understandable, and um, scary proposition if you are an employee to think that if you that if you do something like this. If you do call us, if you do bring an action like this, that your employer is going to retaliate against you, that they're going to that they're going to fire you, that you're going to lose your job, that they're going to make your life difficult. And all of that is our legitimate, real concerns. But what I can say is all of that is illegal under the law. Okay, so they are not allowed to retaliate against you. And if they do retaliate against you, now you have even a better case than what you had before. And in fact, even if you're underlying, even if you were wrong on your underlying case, so if you if you bring a case and it turns out the time you're complaining about wasn't compensable, but they still retaliate against you because you complained, that is still illegal. Okay. So if you assert your rights under the law, you have an absolute right to do that. Your employer cannot retaliate against you for that. And if they do retaliate against you for that, again, you have another case against your employer that they will have to compensate you for to make it right for what they did. Yeah, and that that makes a lot of sense. The, the most famous case under the Fair Labor Standards Act is a case by the name of Anderson, Anderson versus Mount Clemens Pottery, Okay. I'm sitting here in Michigan. We're in, we're in Southfield, Michigan. Mount Clemens Pottery is located in the city of Mount Clemens, which is about 30 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. Okay. And um, that, that case was decided in 1946 when things were very different te- technologically than they are today. Okay. And, and th- that case established this rule, this de minimis rule, that said, if the time spent is so de minimis, in other words, it's so small, and it's so difficult to uh, to capture the time, okay, that they didn't have to pay for it, all right? And then that decision has just continued on, all right? Even though we live in a much different time today, we have so much more abilities to track, keep track of time that really the underpinnings of that decision in 1946 really don't apply anymore. And there certainly is no basis under the language of the law that would support that, um, that rule. And actually, in, the, in the, uh, the case we talked about earlier, the, the um, Sandifer versus U.S. Steel case, uh, which was the, it was the union case, but one of the big issues in, the, in that case was, was this time de minimis? And in that case, the Supreme Court basically said, this isn't 1946 anymore. We have the ability to keep track of this time. There's no basis under the statute that allows for this. And really, the whole purpose of the Fair Labor Standards Act is to account for these small periods of time so that people get paid for all the time they work. So it is my opinion that the the minimus idea is on its way out of the law. Okay. Oh, okay. 
is it, it, what I'm taking from that. It sounds like maybe a defense attorney might use this uh, as a, a very dismissive. It's just like your standard defense against uh, any claim for donning and doffing. Right. If you're doing if you're if you're doing something on a regular basis every day and they're not capturing it. And if you add it up over time, even if it's only a, you know a few minutes a day, but if you add it up over time, it becomes a significant amount of time. That's not going to be what anyone would consider to be de minimis. Okay. So when it comes to compensation for donning and doffing, say you have a situation where an employer needs to play, pay their employees. What does the court, how do they determine the actual amount? When do they go back? Uh, how many years? And also, are there double treble damages if there's some kind of uh, malice involved? So the question you're asking me is how much money are you entitled to if you're not paid for your dining and offing time? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that question is you can go back two years for sure. Um, any ambiguity is go any, any, any um, question is going to be resolved in favor of the employee and against the employer. And then you are entitled, whatever the time is that you weren't paid for, you are entitled to be paid for that time and then to double that time. So how much you're entitled to in damages is a function of how much time it takes you to do the things they didn't pay you for. And it is actually the employer's duty to keep track of the time. So if they didn't do that, any question in terms of how long it actually takes is gonna be resolved against them. And then on top of that, you are entitled to double what it is that you are actually owed. So to figure out how much you're in, how much you're how much you're owed for the time they didn't pay you for, everybody's familiar with the concept of the statute of limitations. And there's a statute of limitations on these claims. And the law says that you can always, always, always go back two years. If if the employer's actions were willful. And actually, under the FLSA, under the law, that is actually a fairly easy test to prove willfulness. Then you can go back a third year. Okay, so you can get damages for up to two to maybe three years. Right, you're entitled to be paid for everything, all the time, all the overtime that you were not paid for. You are then entitled to what's called liquidated damages, which means that they double that amount. Right. And then you are entitled to your attorney being paid all of their attorney fees for the time they spend vindicating your rights. So another question really comes up here in this situation. How would I know if my industry is specifically exempt or not exempt from donning and doffing? So the question of, the question of whether someone is exempt from this whole topic of donning and doffing uh, would depend on, first of all, you have to be an hourly employee. So if you are an hourly employee, you are entitled to be paid for time you spent putting on and taking off your uh, equipment. Um, the only wrench in the works there is if you're a union employee, there are some differences that you have to take into consideration. Well, that's interesting. And I know that I can ask a uh, hundred more questions, especially legal questions, but I want to keep this, uh, this information a little bit light just because there's a lot of good information here too and we don't want to get bogged down with the weeds because every situation is going to be a little bit different um, so i think it's important that for anyone who's listening to go to uh, summerspc.com s-o-m-m-e-r-s-p-c.com 
to find out more information to if you do think that you have a claim, this is a great place uh, to to speak with uh, his team of attorneys. Um, they're experienced and they're they're ready to help navigate this space as we've discussed in previous episodes. Um, so summerspc.com for more information or to see if you have a legitimate claim. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And, it's a pleasure uh, being here, Justin. Thank you for having me. This is Overdue Overtime presented by Summer Schwartz. Once again, my name is Justin Isaac, and we'll see you next time. If you have comments, questions, and show ideas, visit summerspc.com. Overdue Overtime is produced at the IBC Media Lab in San Diego, California. Your host is Justin Isaac. Jessica Garcia serves as general manager, while Elia Ramos is the creative director. Lena Alvarez assists with production, and Chad Peace is president and founding partner. This has been a presentation of Summer Schwartz on the Olas Media Network. Olas Media. So it's hard enough to get by in the world. On top of that, not being paid right by your employer and being cheated out of overtime, being cheated out of the hours that you work, it's not fair. And if you're going through that, it's important to seek help. At Summer Shorts, they've helped thousands of workers just like you and me to recover over $100 million of unpaid wages. Go to summerspc.com to sign up for a free case evaluation.